Tony. And this is Matt. And this is the 50th episode of What Did We Miss, the podcast where we have been exploring our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time for two years now. We did it. We did it. That was the end game. Is this our victory lap? It is. 50 episodes, two years. That was the plan. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's going to be uh, some big twists this episode. Uh, so if you want to make sure that you're keeping up with it, you got to listen to the previous 49 episodes. Um, don't worry about the bonus episodes. They're non-canonical. Uh, I just want to say non-canonical because I think it's fun. Previously on What Did We Miss? Yeah, exactly. You missed a lot, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed a few of them. <laughs> sure. So here we are. We made it. Yeah. Wait, we, we can't say we made it. That's how we started the last episode. Is it? <laughs> yeah, but that was we made it through 2020. This is we made it in general. Like, yes, big league. Because they mm-hmm. say like when you start a podcast, like once you make it to 50 episodes in two years, pff, the rest yeah. is smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I've been told. We learned about pod fade. Pod fade from our uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Chris Revel from the Let's Chat podcast. Yes. Where people start podcasts and then they just fade away and just don't do mm-hmm. anything about it. We miss that. We skip the fade. We're turning up the yeah. volume. We're like, we're like Spinal Tap. We're turning it up to 11. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think I ever seriously thought we were going to drop the ball. No, I didn't think so. No, no. But when, when you, all right, when you pitched the idea to me a little over two years ago, like, did you have in that initial idea when you were like, hey, let's do this thing, did you have kind of like a thought as to, or hope as to where it could go or what it could be or whatever? Uh, well, I have my, my notebook and I have the first notes I wrote down about it. So let oh, me see. Cool. So this is when we were still kicking around the idea of calling it pop culture blind spots. Mm -hmm. uh, Everyone has their pop culture gaps, things they haven't seen, read, played, listened to. So let's talk about it. Each week, Matt, F, and I will discuss a work of art or artist we either, one, haven't gotten around to yet individually, or two, both haven't gotten to, or three, we'll interview a guest about their blind spot. Uh, Over an hour-long podcast, oops, (laughs) (laughs) we will uh talk about the art in question the blind spotter will talk about why if there's a story they hadn't gotten to it and discuss their thoughts now that we've experienced it that's pretty much what we do that's pretty much it um an hour long jesus we uh (laughs) we've (laughs) blown past that mark uh consistently and thoroughly and here are I ooh I got a bunch of I got a bunch of blind spots here just like quick things off the top of my head. Basically um besides OK computer, I have not spent much time with Radiohead. Yep. Um Alfred Hitchcock, Charles Dickens, Moby Dick, Schindler's List, Coming to America, uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which we did, Fish, which we did. Mm-hmm. Um, House of Cards. Um this may have been uh, <laughs> pre um, Kevin Spacey's uh, general creepiness and awfulness being revealed to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the Colors trilogy, which sounds ambitious. Elephant Man, 
Twin Peaks, because I really haven't seen past the first season. THX one one three eight. We did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Preacher, uh, the comic in the TV show, I guess. Yep. Um, classic Marvel superhero stuff. We did uh, some Silver Age, Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Gangs of New York, my so-called life. Reality Bites, which I did get around to watching, but we didn't talk about. Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> we don't need to do The Da Vinci the Code. The book? The book, I hope it, I think. The book, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've read the uh, book. Commando. You've never seen Commando? No. We need to revisit this list, Tony. Yeah. Ooh, Last Tango in Paris. Oh. <laughs> All I know about that movie is butter. Yep. Um, <laughs> when Harry Met Sally. Okay. Uh, most, most Stephen King. So, again. We've done Stephen King, yeah. Yeah, uh, Earthbound <laughs> and The Witcher 3, but um, uh, the game. I don't know if we're going to get to either of those. Yeah, the game is really long, right? Earthbound, long. Earthbound is a game too, right? Wait, is that the game that my brother, they yep. covered on their show, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So look at that. We kind of, we crossed a few off the list. Yeah. Worth revisiting at some point. Yeah, there's some good stuff on there. Yeah. I watched, uh, I rewatched uh, When Harry Met Sally this year, actually, this, pe- this oh, yeah? past year. Yeah, I watched all of Nora Ephron's movies. <laughs> uh, she she did not wait. She did not direct that one. She wrote right, that, that was, one. That was that's Rob, Rob Reiner. Reiner. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. I like it. Yeah. So I mean, that was that's really the um, the origin of it. It was this. I remember we. I I don't know if did I. Maybe I texted you or yeah. what? It was just um, a text. Yeah, and then we we met up for coffee. I think. Um, we probably discussed what was on this page and then went from there. So that was the date on that was October 22nd, 2018. Okay. And then we recorded uh, our first episode in the following January. Yeah. At your place, at your, mm-hmm. um, in your office. And we just yeah. had that kind of uh, slapdash and kind of thrown a lot of things together. And I had a lot of recording gear and, but I, I hadn't been playing much music at that time. And so everything was in a sort of state of disarray. So like some of the microphone stands were like falling apart. And I remember we had to rig a couple of things up and the room itself was kind of, the the sound was like bouncing around all over the place. You really hear it in in those first few episodes. Yeah, for sure. And we definitely, um, man, we really did our homework those first couple of episodes too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, I think, listening back to those there's definitely a sense of like oh we have to do this right and i do think that kind of continued it but it it ebbs and flows depending on what our workload is or or what we're personally going through at that moment especially in 2020 it was just so like you know i we're doing this now and we're gonna wing it kind of thing and i think we've gotten better at that of not really Mm -hmm. feeling dependent on those things uh while still feeling the need to kind of like not bullshit too much because I think that's one thing when I listen to podcasts like I hate it when it's just like oh that's wrong and you could have gotten that right because it's right there it's right in front of you you know yeah so just check just check it and obviously yeah. certain things we're, we're going to get wrong where where you're gonna just be forgetful about things or they're just not important to the main topic that you're talking about and, and that's okay but I do think like there's no reason to just be kind of like what year was this I don't know and then just move on you know Right, we've had moments where we stumble on a f- piece of trivia and we want to get it right, and we'll kind of halt and check our homework. But you know, I, I think 
We've never positioned ourselves as the authorities on what we're talking about. And I think that's, you know, none of these conversations are supposed to be the end all be all of whatever it is we're discussing. But we didn't want to come off as uninformed either. And yeah, I think, like you said, we've become better at, you know, I don't think those first few felt like we were reciting a Wikipedia page by any means, but we definitely leaned more on the research. Um, oh, yeah, for and, sure. And, uh, and I think we've we've allowed that to sort of simmer in the back of our minds individually and inform what we're bringing to the table and often making us sound smarter than we actually are. <laughs> I think the, the tricky thing in the early going was translating what our rapport in real life into a recorded format. And it at first, I think it seemed... At least to me, I was just like, oh, that's going to be easy. We're just going to turn the mics on and have what we already have. But once you have the mics on and you're talking about a specific subject for an extended period of time, it's a different feeling, you know? Yeah. It's hard to kind of, when you're on the spot or feel that you're on the spot. So part of the show, the learning process is kind of figuring out how to get to that place where you're not constantly thinking about what you want to say or need to say next and actually just kind of engage each other in conversation. Uh, which is, uh, yeah, again, e easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. Even though it's just the two of us in the room or on a call, once those mics were in front of us, it sort of, it felt like there's a spotlight. Yeah. Those first few episodes, especially, it was just kind of like, there'd be moments where we'd be looking at each other like, what do we do now? <laughs> and, you can, <laughs> and we can easily, we cut around all that stuff and, and you know, tighten things up as best as possible. But I feel like there are fewer gaps now when we're recording episodes, if there are yeah. any gaps, um, where in those early go, the early going, it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, l let me look at my notes. What haven't we talked about? Blah, 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 blah. Now it just is a little more, it feels a bit natural. Hopefully that comes across when you're listening to the show. Right. We kind of squirreled away four episodes before we put it all up. We wanted to get a, a sense of what worked and what didn't in several different categories. So we did a movie, we did music, we did a TV show, we did a book. So those four first episodes were all kind of individual pilots for subjects in a way. Um, and we, um, the four of us, so you and me and Sandra and Meg and then another friend were driving up to Maine and we had, <laughs> we, we played them a rough cut of the Queen episode because we yeah. wanted feedback. So it was weird to be in the car with people listening to ourselves talk. Yeah. And that's a long episode. And at one point, Sandra goes, can't we just listen to Queen? <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a moment. I, I, I remember that. And I remember feeling too, like, just, just just turn this off like we, i can't do this right now <laughs> like this is like yeah. this is it's it's just making me feel anxious because like i want to engage with it but like you can't because like i want them to listen but at the same time if they're listening that means like are they judging and and like <laughs> so i didn't i wasn't sure how productive it was after a certain point <laughs> yeah it's uh you know at that point <laughs> when you're when one of us is driving and then the other people are have no option but to be in the car and listen to what <laughs> we put on. It's less of a focus group and more of a hostage situation. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we made it through the whole thing, though. No, we did not. We listened to, we, we got through the discussion of one Queen album and then 
Saunders like, hey, let's just listen to Queen. Also, we like played clips from every song we were talking about. Yeah, I think because we wanted to... The idea for the episode was that we haven't really experienced Queen beyond the singles that everybody's familiar with. So we wanted to get a broad picture of the band. And to do that, we wanted to listen to, you know, some albums. We didn't want to listen to any greatest hits or anything like that. And, you know, other podcasts that I listen to go song by song. So it just felt like, oh, yeah, that's what we're going to do. But then we ended up when we were recording it, I remember I for, we were like, over two hours into it and we're like oh we we have so much left to do and we just started blazing through those last two records which isn't a big deal because we didn't like those records as much um but we learned a valuable lesson pretty early um about how much work we could take on for each particular episode um and i say that knowing full well that a few episodes after that uh, you know i decided to watch six seasons of the venture brothers (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and right and the problem wasn't that like it wasn't there was just so much information in my brain to keep track of that when we were doing the episode it was just like oh, it was kind of overwhelming it wasn't that like we didn't have anything to talk about and we did go off of a list of like the 10 you know 10 best episodes to get into venture brothers with um and we use it as like our, our discussion point our way to get into the discussion but I, I remember showing up being like, man, I don't, I'm really nervous because I, I've, I've, there's so much Venture Brothers in my brain right now. Uh, uh, but it, it, it came out good. It, it came out pretty good. So, yeah. Well, I mean, what's interesting is one of our most listened to, I think it's in our, you know, in the top 10 of downloaded episodes is Metal Gear Solid, which was such a clusterfuck of an experience because <laughs> yeah. you came over. You played it for an hour, didn't even get to the first boss, and then because you had no way of playing it, I should have just like let you take that thing home and play it some more. Instead, I found a four-hour YouTube supercut of all the cutscenes and I think it was the like necessary six hours. gameplay stuff. Six hours. <laughs> yeah. Either way, weird way to experience a video game that has so much... I mean, A, like a video game is so much about being... It's not a passive experience. And then Metal Gear has all these like weird meta flourishes like, um, you know, the boss fight when you're uh, fighting Psycho Mantis. And the idea is he could read your mind. So what you had to do is unplug your controller and put it in the second port, which is like this really mind bending uh, gimmick that like when it came out and I was 14, you know, was the coolest thing I'd ever experienced. Uh, But, you know. I told you about that after you watched a YouTube video. Um, (laughs) Part of it was that like a a lot of what interests me is narrative in general. So I think you were just like, oh, well, because we can't really experience the game too, too much. You got to feel for it. Let's talk about the narrative. Uh, But the episode itself, we we really kind of use it as uh, a jumping metal gear as a jumping off point to talk about video games and our experiences with video games in general. So in a lot of ways, like listening to any video game episodes after that one, you know, that one informed the other video game episodes in a way. Like if you hear the later video game episodes and are curious about stuff, you should go back to that one. He talks about sort of our origins with playing video games. Right. And we've definitely learned when to give ourselves more time. Like we are intending to do uh, an episode on Final Fantasy VI in 2021. Um, 
and we're like, okay, let's let's slot that for a May episode. And like, I've already started playing that now. So knowing what my personal life is like, and that it's a forty to fifty hour game to finish, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you thought watching a YouTube supercut of metal gear was insufferable i can't imagine what it would be like for a super nintendo <laughs> game that's probably poorly translated and has no spoken dialogue <laughs> yeah and, w- and we've also talked about doing um the book version of dune um in time for when the movie comes out uh w- which is good because we initially talked about doing it for 2020 but because it got pushed we we're like phew <laughs> we can still possibly cover the book but that's like a 700 page book so like we're right. going to need some time for that um mm-hmm. but sometimes when we take on big things like we did pet cemetery um and that's over 500 pages and we did the book and we did both movies and i love that episode because we're talking about what works about the book that doesn't work about the other two things and how they all sort of inform each other and how maybe sometimes direct translations aren't always the smartest decision, but also like if you deviate from the book, maybe there should be a thoughtful reason behind it. Uh, and I, and I thought that lent well to a great discussion, but it did, that took some time. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, Stephen King's a bit of a, uh, typically a more brisk read than, like a dense chunk of world building. Sure, sure. Um, I haven't, I haven't experienced any of uh, what's his name, uh, Frank Herbert. Herbert. Frank Herbert. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I'm unfamiliar. I just know the book is dense, and a lot of people say it can be kind of difficult. So um, that's obviously going to be a heftier workload than something like Pet Cemetery, because yeah, as you said, Stephen King is is pretty light and breezy, even when it's like heavy, dark stuff. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a recurring bit from 2020 was <laughs> the progress updates on me getting through the stand, um, <laughs> which, which again is brisk. There's just a lot of it. So, um, you know, that one took me longer and I took a couple of breaks to read other things while reading that. Did you read um, the unabridged version? I did. Yeah. So what is that like? Is it 1500 pages? Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Roughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which there's stuff that was put back in and reworked and then he updated a lot of the cultural references. Oh, really? Yeah. I think cause it was published initially in the late 70s and it was set then. And I think when they re-released it with all the updated stuff, he updated it to the, the late 80s, early 90s. So there were suddenly references to uh, George H.W. Bush and... Hmm. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Roger Rabbit. Weird. That's that's yeah. really strange. It's almost like a, a same like approach that Lucas had with the prequels or or the original trilogy where he went back and he started tinkering with it and stuff. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but you like the stand. Oh yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. On the flip side to this is like uh, you know I thought our Fantastic Four episode um, when we talked about the sixties. Um. Like, it was just like a three issue arc that we did. And like that probably took like a half an hour to read at most. Um, but there's so much there to dig into and talk about, whether it's like the history that led up to that moment in Marvel Comics or Jack Kirby versus Stan Lee, uh, the artwork in general, but also how influential that story was and all in something that we could do kind of effortlessly. So we've also kind of 
strategically plan those type of episodes and we sprinkled out between things that maybe require a little bit more time to uh, to digest. Yeah, and I will say too, for the most part, I think we've been pretty fortunate in our choices that there's really not been a ton that we've actively disliked. Yeah. And I think our I think our enthusiasm has certainly run the gamut. Certain things we've been very enthusiastic about. Um, I know you came into the Venture Brothers like a, a lifelong convert. You you were really thrilled with that. Uh, even going into the fish episode somewhat cynically, uh, you know, I don't think that we hated it. We don't, we no. did not walk away with changed opinions, but I think, um, you know, we, we took, we took some understanding away from that one. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think Kentucky route zero might be the, the sort of nader in terms of like, you know, for me, I was just like, I was not into it. Sure. At all. Uh, maybe maybe cats. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> More than cats. Cats was fun to talk about, though. And it felt it like... Was. It was. It felt like with Kentucky Route Zero that you... Like, there was a frustration there with, like, how do I approach this thing? How do I not just shit on this the whole time? <laughs> right. Because I don't... You know, I and that's certainly... I think it's easy to sort of slip into irony and oh like this is a you know we we never want this to be like a so bad it's good kind of show or um or to just dunk on something for the sake of it and you know i think the frustrations i had with that game were were justified but also you know personal there the game was not flawed in any technical or objective way and I, you know, going back to this idea that we're not the authorities, we're also not the arbiters of taste here. So, you know, if if anyone listens to that and is confused as to what game I may have played because they think it's, you know, the it it is truly the one of the highlights of the last decade in gaming, and then, you know, they're not wrong. I I mean, that's been a big conversation in pop culture in general when, you know, fans of something they feel that they're They've defined themselves through that piece of work. Uh, and you find this a lot with really popular stuff, the Marvel movies and Star Wars and stuff like that. So the, they love it so much or they claim to love it so much that if there's any dissenting opinions, you know, they, they, they go on the offense and they start to attack. Um, but, you know, people are allowed to dislike things, <laughs> you know? And, and I think that's fine. That's healthy for the conversation around art you know it's like we don't want everything to just live in like these vacuum sealed little packs and that, that's it like there there should be these discussions sure. i think it's about if there is a dissenting opinion i do think you know when you approach it it's just not about because I, I also see a lot of this online too of like this smug condescension of just like oh no like i have it right you have it wrong because you see that a lot and you see that a lot with with people watching older movies where I just saw one the other day saying like, Hey everybody, I watched Jaws and you know what? It's really bad. And it's just like, where's this coming from? Like you're not the first person to think these things. I think that's what it comes down to. So don't ever treat it as if like your opinion is like the one true one. And you're the one that figured this thing out. And I think that's how we like to approach the show. Like uh, we're talking about our personal experiences and we never want to approach it through that lens of like, Hey, we figured this out. You know, we're the ones. 
Right. Yeah. We, you know, uh, again, using the fish one as an example, like that was something we sort of kept at an arm's length and probably had one of these shitty opinions like, oh, like, like if you like this, like like you're, you're wrong to like this. Well, how could someone like this? And I think that's what we learned. We didn't come away with a new favorite band, but like, oh, this is what people like about it. And <laughs> operating under the assumption that fish fans are uh, by default wrong, that, you know, that's a <laughs> shitty way to walk through life. Uh, and that was a big part of this show initially. Some of, you know, what I didn't have down in that sort of um, seed of an idea in my notebook was that this would be a combination of us exploring things that we just missed for one reason or another, or things that we had preconceived ideas about and maybe, um, you know, stayed away from for often arbitrary reasons. Yeah. To continue with that, I do think sometimes that you've, you've felt intimidated about talking about music in general. And I, so I think sometimes that's something that we want to do more of is just throw you, throw you into the fire as it were uh because i think your experience your experience with whatever music we're talking about is just as valid as someone like me who's a musician or someone like chris not who's a musician that has a greater understanding of it than i do uh and 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 all of our opinions are valid uh because that's that's where the interesting stuff comes from it's not just from saying like well i'm the authority therefore this is the the correct interpretation of this yeah and you know i think for you we've learned that it's that's literature you you know um with the neuromancer and the fifth season episodes um i I think you sort of had um i'm gonna say stumbling blocks but i don't necessarily mean it that way but like i think I, I think you had that same sort of intimidation about talking about it the way I do with music. Is it, would that be correct? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's just those that type of prose in general because uh, I do read a lot. And this year in general, I was able to read, uh, like I've just changed my reading habits completely. Uh, and it was really rewarding. And I think... One thing that I gravitate towards when I'm reading is not necessarily world building. It's more about the prose. Uh, and I love things that are sort of deceptively simple. Um, yet you could tell uh, there's a lot of thought behind it. Things that are sort of succinct but impactful. Um, and, and, and like movies uh, and other narratives, I do gravitate towards ambiguity. Uh, and I think sometimes with the world building of Neuromancer and Fifth Season, there's a lot of heavy lifting exposition in there. Uh, and I do kind of check out sometimes with that stuff. But that's something that I've tried to get a hold of the reins of and and try not to like hold that against any type of book and just trying to figure out, oh, is this something I actively dislike or is this something that I need to get over? Cause I do have this tendency. Um, like if I'm reading at home, I know if Meg's around, if she has something out, something on, like if she decides to put on an episode of a TV show or if she's playing a video game, or even if she's looking at Instagram and going through Instagram stories and I hear that that's a distraction. Um, whereas if, 
if I'm watching a movie, she can read a book. Like she has this, you know, she can compartmentalize it and connect those two things where those things are like, I'm easily distracted when it comes to reading. And I have a tendency to be like, oh, I just read 20 pages and I don't know anything that happened in those last 20 pages. Um, and that could also be because I am thinking of 8 billion other things. So that's something I've had to figure out. All right, how do I read in order to make sure I'm retaining things? Uh, for me, that's been reading first thing in the morning because there's no distractions. Sometimes mm -hmm. Meg is still asleep. Um, I'm reading in bed and it's just, I can focus. Uh, and that's really been beneficial this year. Um, but there are still those moments where I just kind of like, oh, wow, I just read this whole section and I, I, I don't know anything that happened. Yeah, I hear that. I, I certainly, um, I, I have a hard time reading if, if say, you know, if Saunders watching a movie or something. Um, yeah, I, I do prefer quiet. Um, I don't know how I did homework in high school while listening to music. I'm <laughs> assuming not well because, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel the older I get too, the, the, the harder it is for me to sort of separate input and output in terms of like what I'm hearing or seeing while trying to put thoughts to page or focus on a, a something I'm reading. So we had talked off mic about maybe discussing what some of our, our five favorite discoveries have been, mm -hmm. but you also, you also threw out there, maybe we could guess. So do you have your five and do you have five guesses? I have my five. My five guesses are, I, th I found it tough, the, my five guesses. I kept going through, I was like, maybe this, no, I don't know, maybe this. I have a few that I'm pretty certain of, and but for the most part, I, I, I'm not entirely sure because I know there's a lot of things in here that you really liked and other things where you liked it, but I don't know if it was glowing. In, in, mm -hmm. you, you were glowing in your praise, you know? Yeah. Yes. I've got four that I'm fairly confident of for you. And then one is just kind of a wild shot in the dark. How, how do you want to approach this? Do you want to just kind of like do five guesses and then you reveal your five guesses and vice versa? Or do you want to go one at a time? Let's do let's do guesses first. So okay. you so you you whatever you think the five things were for me and then I'll okay give my guesses. Well, I'm going to say um I think the easy one for you is the fifth season. I have to do all of them before you kind of give me. You have to do all of them. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> respond. Uh, all right. I definitely think uh, the fifth season, Wizard of Earthsea. Let's go with Taxi. Let's say, let's not Kentucky Route Zero. Let's say Police Story. How many do we have left? One more. One more. One more. Uh, I'm gonna say Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Did I get any of them right? Okay, so you got you got three out of five. Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah, so you got Earthsea, Fifth Season, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, and the other two would be Pet Cemetery and Prince. Ah, oh, I almost said Pet Cemetery. I almost said Pet Cemetery. We talked about it in the Pet Cemetery episode. I'd always sort of been dismissive of Stephen King. I think that sort of. You know, that was one of those uh, boneheaded assumptions of the ubiquity of Stephen King and the volume of it. I, I sort of just, I don't know. I don't know what it was that I, I sort of kept it, uh, kept it at a distance. But, um, so when, when, when you say that though, so 
meaning that you hadn't really read any Stephen King, but were there any movie adaptations of his that you loved that maybe you attributed more to the filmmakers than you did to Stephen King? I mean, are you asking if I've seen The Shining? (laughs) (laughs) Um. Well, I mean, there's so many Stephen King movies. So, I mean, I was just curious, like, I'm sure you've seen a lot of Stephen King movies. So were you Mm -hmm. always sort of dismissive of those? Or were you always like, oh, that's because of the filmmakers or? Right. I mean, I like Carrie. I like The Shining. I just never thought to go read those books. Um, I had read um, half of the Dark Tower series, but my interest in that was that it the Dark Tower felt sort of anomalous for for King. Is that more action adventure? Well, it's uh, have you not read any of those? No. I mean, he describes it as kind of like Lord of the Rings by way of Sergio Leone. It's sort of Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so you know the gunslinger. It's mm-hmm. it's this weird mashup of western tropes and fantasy, but also increasingly becomes a sort of like hub for the larger Stephen King universe. Um, certain characters and ideas kind of uh, thread their way in and out, and you know I didn't find that a hindrance, but I think um, if I were to go back and reread them, I'd start to pick up on more things, having read more of his work since. But yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed Pet Cemetery. I really liked um, The Stand. And, uh, you know, I, I, as I'm making my reading lists, or as I have been making reading lists since then, um, I've always been uh, sure to put Stephen King on there somewhere. So, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and, and since since that episode, I also read um, Revival, which is came out in 2015 uh, by Stephen King, and, and I really dug it. Um, it's sort of like a, a Frankenstein-esque type of story, but also a bit of Pet Cemetery in there too. Uh, and it really charts um, the narrator, the main character. It's his kind of like his whole life. And without giving anything away, he kind of befriends when he's a child, this pastor. pastor um, and the pastor loses his family and, uh, and it changes him to, it, for, it forces him to kind of rethink uh, his his uh, connection to God um, and it informs like the whole story. So it was really interesting. Uh, and I know there's this sort of cliche that Stephen King uh, doesn't stick the landings, but I really thought the ending worked pretty well uh, for revival. So I'd, I'd recommend that too. And, and I have a few others that I have put aside, I've purchased, but you know, I didn't want to read too many on top of each other. I have his book on writing, which I'm excited to get into. And I also yeah. have um, Salem's Lot, which I'm excited cool. to, to read. Nice. Yeah. Besides what I've already talked about, um, those were the other two that I've read of his uh, and really enjoyed them. Cool. So you ready for my guesses? Uh, yeah. Or, or, or do you want to talk about your other favorites before we get into that? Yeah. I don't know how much I have to add. Um, I feel like I was pretty effusive about the fifth season and, and yeah. mentioned that um, I read the the follow-up right on the heels of it uh, and I'm saving the stone sky, which is the conclusion of that trilogy for um, the first, the first book of this year. Yeah. Um, and I don't think list. like that's not a book that was even in my periphery whatsoever or um, NK Jemison. I wasn't familiar with her whatsoever until you had decided to do to, to, you decided to read it. So then I was just like, well, maybe we should cover this book then. And I, I think that's a good kind of 
indication of what the show is good for is that like we're hopefully finding things that we wouldn't necessarily find without the show uh, and pointing yeah. us in different directions. Yeah, I mean, her name and, and this title in particular um, were increasingly more familiar, you know, as people were sort of doing their end of decade lists for books. Um, she had a new book earlier in the year. Um, so, so yeah, it, it was sort of, um, it, it was coming up often enough and I knew uh, we talked about it. I kind of wanted to uh, change up some of my personal reading habits and sort of examine or put a little more thought into my choices because, uh, you know, uh, deliberate or not, there was an inherent bias that I, um, you know, was not conscious of, but was, was participating in. So I was trying to, you know, break a cycle there. Uh, Earthsea, I read uh, some of Ursula Le Guin's science fiction stuff before, um, but I just found this a really, uh, you know, kind of uh, surprising. Um, you know, I think she she kind of balked at the term young adult fiction, but it, it you know, certainly with a younger audience in mind. But um, yeah, and immediately it was something I recognized as something I'd want on my shelf um, as my kids were growing up. And you read the you read the follow up to that too, right? The second one. Yeah, I, I read. <laughs> I started reading it actually when the boys were at the hospital in the NICU, um, and just when I would go up there, I would read it out loud. But it's a book that opens with a uh, a child being taken from her family and then some blood sacrifice. So I was like, <laughs> maybe <laughs> the nurses probably think I'm some sort of weirdo. So I should <laughs> maybe pivot to the Little Women. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, Back to Le Guin for a sec, or or to Earthsea. Like I feel like it's a book that you know a lot of people ask us um, in regards to the show. Like, oh, once you finally fill in that blind spot, do you have regrets? Uh, and 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 typically, I think we both say, oh no, because it's great that we finally got to this thing. But I do see that after reading Earthsea, that oh this. If I had read this when I was young, it probably could have opened up a whole new avenue of of storytellers and and fantasy storytelling that you know I wasn't really privy to. And I I think if I were to choose between something like that or Harry Potter or even Lord of the Rings, I would probably choose Earthsea. Well, I mean, same same idea really for uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre for me. I think. Um you know, I don't know why I put that off for so long. I mean, the, you know, Leatherface is so iconic. And that's one that I really regret dragging my heels about because Texas Chainsaw Massacre is great. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is bananas. And, you know, really right in that sweet spot of like Evil Dead 2 and Dead Alive that I would have eaten up in high school. And then from there, just branching out into more horror. Um, and that, that sort of, uh, that really weird gray area between um you know schlock and camp and like there's a lot of stuff going on in those first two that uh i think are good gateways to other good horror and not that i can't do that now but i certainly don't have the um you know the the, the bottomless time to to throw at it like i did when i was younger with with texas chainsaw the other you know common uh thread of our show is one of us introducing something to uh, the other um and texas chainsaw is something i love quite a bit so there was that like nervousness uh, of being like oh if he doesn't like this i don't like 
I'm not going to be upset, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty bummed out. And, I'm, and I don't know how I'm going to talk about it. You know, and I almost feel like at that moment, you know, that hasn't happened yet on the show where there's been that much of a divide between our reactions. But that is something um, that I've thought about of like, oh, if this is something I love, I'm opening myself up, you know, and what if mm-hmm. Tony doesn't like it? Uh, have you yeah. had any of those moments too or? Yes. And I think one of them is one of my guesses for what we can. Okay. We can put it. Well, I mean, we can just go on to it. I don't have sure. too much else to say about Prince besides like he was great. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have come around to it. I do want to say about that episode. One thing, um, you know, we want people to have honest reactions when we have guests on the show. Like we like I'm truly curious how people discover these things, why they haven't discovered it yet or why it's been kind of a blind spot. But it is exciting when someone comes on the show and they discover something and to have Jody come on and just truly fall in love with Prince. Uh, that was exciting. Yeah, that was and I'd always much rather hope for that than the opposite, which is just like, oh, yeah, I don't care about this. And not that that doesn't lead to great conversations because we've definitely been there. Um, but it's just that enthusiasm so exciting. And I think that's that's what we hope for in the show is like we want to love everything that we're discovering. Um and you could really hear that in that episode. Sure. Absolutely. So here are my five guesses. All right. The Venture Brothers. Uh, I'm going to pull Cabaret from our Oscar episode. We have always lived in the castle slash Shirley Jackson. Succession. And the wild card is Doom. <laughs> okay. So this is what I have. Venture Brothers. You got that. We have always lived in the castle. You got that. Uh, succession. You got that. I said uh, police story, Jackie Chan. There you and go. Uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Ah, all right. Yeah. A couple of those, though, I was sort of wavering on. Um, I almost like I almost threw caution to the wind and it did a tie with <laughs> we have always lived in the castle and Earthsea because I, I did love Earthsea quite a bit. But yep. there's something about Shirley Jackson's writing and, and I love horror in general. And that that novel really, really worked for me. And I, I also read um, The Haunting of Hill House, uh, which is another one of her, her terrific books. And it's it's wonderful, better than any of the adaptations. So, yeah, I, I really took to that. And like you said, like, yeah, Venture Brothers was just like one of those things where once I had watched it i was like where has this been my whole life yeah and that was that was the one i was nervous about because you know that was a show that i sort of discovered by accident um i think some me and some friends sort of uh stumbled on the pilot once uh when it aired on adult swim and then we were like what is this thing and then it went away for a while and then that first season started and there were notorious gaps in between seasons so i mean we just we just would eat up that first season as it would re-air on Adult Swim. And then it really got to the point of, like, uh, you know, much in the same way that, um, you know, we could <laughs> hold entire conversations if with, like, Simpsons references. Um, Venture Brothers sort of reached that level with uh, a certain friend group for a while. So that was something that I was very nervous to share with you because I didn't, I didn't know how you'd react to the density of it, the, the volume of references. Um, you know, I think that's a really tricky line to walk between 
a sort of like, uh, you know, family guy sort of reference humor versus, you know, the Venture Brothers. These are characters who are sort of have this stuff on the brain in the same way that we do. And it felt natural. And it felt like, of course, they would be, of course, Peter's making all these references to like 80s music and Klaus Kinsey and, and that kind of stuff. Klaus Nomi, not Klaus Kinski. <laughs> I, I I mean, I think that's the thing with Venture Brothers. It felt to me, because I had, I had watched those first few seasons of Family Guy, and after a while, it just felt kind of like the show that it was constantly saying, like, oh, you get this, right? You get this. Where that's never the point of Venture Brothers. And I think a lot of, a lot of times their references are a little more esoteric. Uh, but, like... <laughs> They're all my references, you know, like yes, 60s, 70s Marvel's Marvel character B characters and and Johnny Quest and Hanna Barbera and David Bowie and 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 like yeah, it's Dean really falling into a prog hole. Yeah, it's really strange uh, in just such weird, wonderful ways. Uh, after we completed that episode, I did watch the final season and. You know, we learned this year that it is the final season. It's not coming back for another um, season. I know that um, the creators are looking for a way to kind of wrap it up somehow, whether that's like Mm -hmm. a a movie or a final season on another network. You know, hopefully something comes. Uh, I don't know if you watched the last season, but like it ends on uh, a strange note. It wouldn't be awful. It definitely feels like a change, like their the show is entering into another mode. Um, so, like, it could work like a stealth finale, like Deadwood or Angel. Um, and you know, those shows both work really, really well as as final mm-hmm. episodes um, or finales, despite the fact that they weren't intended to be. Um, but yeah, I was really bummed to find out that it, we wouldn't get any more. But you know, it's one of those things where I will revisit and and. Um, I was so happy to finally watch it because I, I, I was aware of it probably since the beginning. Um, and, it, and I kept, you know, it was always at a distance and I'd be like, well, I'll get to that eventually. I'm sure I'll like that. I'm sure I'll, it, it seems cool. And I'd hear good things about it. So to finally really cross that off the list, I, it was just so satisfying. The one uh, pilgrimage I ever made to Comic-Con in San Diego, and I was only there for like two days that was the only panel I waited in line for. It was before, oh gosh, if it was 2010, it must have been for season four, maybe season five. I don't know. Don't remember the timeline. Um, but just to get that peak and then, um, you know, the two creators are there. Patrick Warburton was there. Um, I don't remember if um, James Urbaniak, he must have been there. He voices Doc. But um, yeah, it was just... Those, those, you know, the two creators of that show really like unabashedly love those characters and all that stuff. So getting to see them talk about it and, and sort of hype up um, the the continuing adventures of those characters is really exciting. There's also something to be said about discovering something that feels like yours. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. In a, especially because it's like, like I, you know, I wish nothing but the the popularity uh that i feel like they deserve for making a show like this but sometimes there is something to be said about like oh like not a lot of people love this but they the people that do like they p- 
passionately love it. Like it's their thing. Um, there's, I don't know. There's something special about that. Sure. Well, that's the flip side to what we were talking about earlier with that uh, fans getting so wrapped up in a thing they love that they can't take a criticism of it. Yeah. I think it's it's really, it's they're, they're two halves of a whole. Um, I think that that community and that, that sort of shared um, smaller excitement for something like Adventure Brothers is really fun and feels cozy. And then, you know, the... Of course, the, the, the drawback is occasionally you're going to, you know, it's not an accessible show. So no. I'm sure there are Venture Brothers fans out there who are like, you're an idiot if you don't like this. It's the greatest thing that's ever been made. <laughs> it's not for everybody, man. No, it's definitely <laughs> it's okay. not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I put Caligari on the list because I it's a movie that I've, ever since we recorded that, I've watched ever since I watched the movie and we recorded the episode, uh, I've just thought about it a lot. I think it's foundational. And I think it's important. And um, and it's something that I wish it, more filmmakers could pull from this need, or not this need, but just making something that feels, that isn't so reliant on verisimilitude or, or reality. You know, yeah. like it, it, it can take on another form and so much of modern filmmaking, even with superhero stuff, which is re- silly and ridiculous and over the top is just kind of like, oh, we need to ground this. This needs to be real. Uh, and I think that misses the point. And I think a movie like Caligari kind of shows that like you could do something that's purely expressive and visual and it could have that that same kind of impact. Yeah, that one really felt like a Rosetta Stone moment for me as well. Uh, at the time, that was kind of like our least listened to al- uh, episode. Uh, and and we had talked about like, oh, like, how do we balance these things? Because um, Caligari is from 1920. It's 100 years old. And it's a silent film. How do we balance these things that are a little more out there or don't have a massive following? Things that we're interested in with the bigger things. Um and that's something that we we are still talking about a lot, you know, because we want yeah. we want the goal, the hope is always for people to listen along um, and hear us at the end of an episode saying like we're gonna do this next episode, and then people will be like, oh, cool, I'm gonna go watch the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and listen along. That's what I like to do. I like to listen to podcasts that talk about movies or any kind of art form, and then follow along. Um, so we're hopeful that people would kind of do that. Yeah. I mean, I think we were surprised by the tepid response to that one because we are aware of its influence and importance in the grand scheme of things. And then on the flip side, and this is another one of your, one of my guesses for you is, um, succession ended up being, uh, a sort of runaway success as far as our downloads are concerned. And we can't really figure out, why? I mean, besides maybe just that it's it's still an ongoing show. It's sort of uh, still really got its um, hooks in the the zeitgeist. I guess that uh, came out at the beginning of pandemic, and people were, you know, sitting at their uh, Netflix queues or whatever, thinking like, okay, what what are people talking about that I haven't watched yet? Um, so yeah, I mean, that was a, a sort of odd example of us accidentally finding um you know finding gold 
Yeah. I And you know, if we had only, like that episode, we're only talking about the first season. And if that is all that I had watched, then I probably wouldn't have included that uh, in my top five. Um, but since that episode, like immediately following that episode, like literally, we've done recording. I think I walked into the other room and I started watching the 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 first episode of the second season and that second season really cemented it as a a special show an important show and a favorite uh i think it kind of leaped up into the top tier of hbo shows um i'm excited for you to eventually get to that second season because i do think it's pretty great uh it, it plays at times like a horror movie it's it's hard to look away uh yeah it kind of has that nice mix of what veep or even something like The Office does, where it's like really cringy and, and hard to watch. Um, but it really leans into that sometimes. And like I said, that feels like like horror in some ways, where you these people and their gross behavior uh, takes on this other kind of, I don't know, context. I know for you sure. it was difficult because we're sort of living through this period where we're having to deal with people that are very similar to the characters on succession. And, um, I think sometimes like our, where we are in that moment can kind of color our perception of things. Um, not to saying that you were wrong or anything like that, because you had some valid criticisms of those first season and some of which I agreed with. Um, I do think the second season really, cements it and, and it makes it a great show well i think my problem was really the first half of that season yeah. um because we even talk about it in in the episode we did um that turning point where that episode where kendall is frantically trying to get to the boardroom to to like lead his coup and it like the whole thing falls yeah. apart and then the rest of the season is dealing with the fallout and kendall really like goes off the deep end um that's when it clicked for me. At first, it was just a lot of awful people behaving awfully. And um, yeah, I don't know that I quite had the appetite for that. And I think had that that switch not happened, and not that they, not that they started to be any less awful, but there's a bit more purpose to just how shitty this collection of people were. And yeah, by the end of that first season, I was won over. It was, it was just a matter of timing on our end that. Um, you know, that was one of the, that was one of the last episodes we recorded before my sons were born. So yeah, uh, I just haven't had time or access to HBO to <laughs> get back to it. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, that's one of the bummers of 2020 is that they, uh, you know, there's no third season yet. And I know, I'm sure they're writing on, I don't know what the story is with production and all that. Um, but the season ends on like this mic drop moment that is so exciting <laughs> that yeah. sets up a great season three. So um, I, I just like, can't wait for it to come back and I'll probably rewatch season two before it comes back. It was, I enjoyed it that much. Cool. Uh, and the last one for my top five was, um, police story the, the we did, uh, police story one and two, uh, two Jackie Chan movies. Uh, he direct wrote and directed and stars in obviously. Um, I just think they're so joyful and everything I want in, in, in action movies. Although like, it feels like one of those genie in a bottle kind of you know like there's something about it that that probably could only exist within that moment some of that mm -hmm. is probably due to like 
restrictions to filmmaking and and making sure people are safe on set. Uh, but it it's something special. And since that, I've kind of gone down that um, rabbit hole of Jackie Chan movies. And like even in movies um, up to a certain point, because obviously like, you know, mid 2000s onward, there's a lot of there's a lot of crap. But um, before that, like, you know, even in movies that aren't super great, um, like Police Story 4, there's still some great stuff in it. Um, mm-hmm. Like with Police Story 4 obviously has that ladder fight, which is just remarkable. Um, so, yeah. And, and it's something that I think about all the time, especially when we watch a lot of other action movies. And it's not always about just like how daring and, and scary a lot of their stunts were, but just in the choreography um, and what the camera's doing. And I think about that a lot when I watch other action movies. And um, so it's informed a lot of... of how I view things. So, uh, and I look forward to kind of revisiting it as often as I can because it's just so, there's so much joy in there. That one was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, my real, my only real frame of reference for Jackie Chan was, uh, you know, the rush hour movies and the bits and pieces I'd catch on cable of first strike or, um, operation condor, which, you know, and then you get into like that whole thing where the the titles are a little different. So I think is isn't First Strike a police story movie? Yeah, police that's police story four. Right. So like or or just like, you know, seeing clips of his fight scenes um outside of the context of the movies. Um I just never sat down to watch one of his classic Hong Kong action movies. And I'm glad that I finally got around to it. Um because they are so much more rewarding than the like hyperkinetic editing to hide the hits. Yeah. That choreography really, um, you know, is important and magical and is, you know, a, a great example of what makes movies fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, you know, it's a kind of, uh, it's a kind of magic trick that can't happen elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like this year, there wasn't, a ton of action stuff because of, you know, a lot of stuff got pushed a lot of the, at least the big budget action stuff. Um, and I know a lot of people were talking about the old guard, which was on Netflix and like, Oh, like there's no superhero movies in theaters, but this is a new type of superhero movie and it's great. And, and I was really underwhelmed by it. And part of it is because most of the time, um, they would cut on the, the hits so you're not really actually seeing any hits. Um, it's like the, that illusion that we were just talking about. They're cutting around things. Uh, and I thought that they were really claustrophobic, a lot of those fight sequences. And um, it just wasn't satisfying to me. That could be because, again, I watched it close to when we did Police Story. So um, roughly around then. So like I had a lot of that on my mind. And I was just like, oh, this is not really cutting the mustard. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, those are both our fives, right? Did I do all of them? I think so. Yeah. So I'm assuming that our, our least favorites is, is cats, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, although, again, that one was fun to talk about. It was um, fun to talk about. But neither of us yeah. have seen the new movie yet. I, I haven't, no, I haven't. I haven't been able to pull the trigger. <laughs> I can't imagine that I'm going to walk away with an opinion other than what I think I'm going to have. So Yeah, <laughs> it's like, that's true. Um, and you know, I don't know if, you know, given my exposure to cats thus far, you know, even if it's, uh, a particular 
type of CGI train wreck. Like, I don't know if that's enough of a curiosity factor for yeah. me. I think that's one thing we've talked about on the show is like, I'm not really interested in like so bad it's good stuff. You know, like if there's not mm-hmm. like some sort of spark of creativity there, something imaginative in the margins of, of trash, then I don't really have much interest in it. And I don't have a lot of interest in like, let's make fun of the rubes because they made something shitty. I've right. always been kind of put off by that. I don't know. Uh, when I watch an Ed Wood movie, I just see a lot of weirdness in the margins and a lot of mm-hmm. love, even though they're just absolute schlock. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like the the room is a good example. I mean, it's complete garbage, but the the conviction with which he stitches that garbage together is what makes it <laughs> worth watching. <laughs> and you know, the, just the complete disconnect between you know what is the nature of filmmaking versus um, what he thought was a good idea, like you know, putting a digital and a film camera side by side to get footage with both with no regard for (laughs) really like framing or the necessity of, of both. It's just like, well, you know, you never know. (laughs) Digital's the future. Let's cover our bases. It's just like, it's, you can see how that makes sense to somebody who has no real idea how movies are made. And the fact that he (laughs) managed to finish it is, uh, is bizarre and (laughs) fun and, you know, the James Franco movie was just a bunch of famous people playing dress up. It didn't really add to that story. No, no, not at all. I think the show in a lot of ways too is like a way for us to, it's not just about putting our ideas out there or having conversations. A lot of times it's personally about crystallizing how I feel about these things and what I'm interested in. And I have seen over time, my ideas sort of shift as I've learned more. Whereas maybe things that when I was younger, I was more dismissive of because they were silly or um, they didn't fit the certain tone that I thought it should fit. Um, I kind of revisit now and be like, oh, what was I thinking? This is exactly what they were set out. They, this is exactly what they set out to make. Um, and sometimes those stupid things are so much fun, you know? Yeah. Uh, so like, I, and, and, and it's less about for me, narrative and plot and more about the how of it, you know, how is this thing made? Um, that's way more interesting to me. Uh, and I think yeah. talking about it together has really crystallized that of what I'm looking for. Yeah. We've talked a lot about how the how of things informed, uh, a lot of our opinions and, you know, um, the example we always go back to is. Star Wars and as a kid I could never get enough I could never read enough or hear enough about how they made that work or or how they sort of landed on a design of thing or a sound of a thing um I could listen to Ben Burt talk for days about how he recorded you know uh, tension wires and animals at a zoo and then created this entire new lexicon of sound so yeah, I mean, we're both just such driven by process, I think. Even with something like when we read the fifth season, I just wanted to read interviews with her about her her thoughts behind her choices. Yeah. Um, that stuff is always interesting to me. And I think that's part of why we also do the podcast because it's about figuring those things out uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and figuring out what about that appeals to us. 
Um, that's always exciting. Landing on these new micro obsessions every couple of weeks has been really fun. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And they've led to like different kind of uh, rabbit holes of like, you know, oh, we're going down this direction. So uh, it helps to inform choices because I do think that's, mm -hmm. you know, and this isn't a problem, but I do think that one of the toughest things is making that first choice, especially when so much is available to us. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, when I bought an, an album, like that was my hard earned money. And that thing lived in my CD player until I had enough money to buy another CD. Uh, mm -hmm. So you just got so used to those things. Now, um, you know, everything is there. It's all there within your reach uh, and it's not too, too expensive. Yeah. And it's gone as soon as you watch it or listen to it. Yeah. And I think that's what's helpful about the show is like I could retain a lot of what we talked about on the show because we talked about it on the show, because we've made notes about it um, and we have this documentation of it. And that's been really helpful because I do, yeah. I do consume a lot. And, and sometimes there are things that I'm like, Oh, well I don't have any memory of that. Uh, and I watched that a few weeks ago. So, right. Well, I mean, it feels like homework, but you know, I don't mean that in a bad way. I have, I have more immediate recall for stuff I read in high school and college and was expected to, uh, you know, turn in a paper on than yeah. stuff that I read in between those assignments because there was no, there's no one expecting me to tell them what I thought about it. So now, like I, I, uh, you know, I feel like leading up to us starting the show, that was kind of how I operated. A lot of it was kind of going in and then immediately going out to make room for the next thing. But I have a much more, I have a much richer appreciation and understanding for what we've talked about because I've had to sit down and really think about how I felt about it because I had to talk to you about it. Yeah. Even for cats, like I watched it twice <laughs> and I didn't like it. I watched it right. the first time and I'm like, this is such a slog, but I got to watch it again because uh, mm -hmm. I took notes the second time. I like to kind of have that first experience be kind of, you know, just the the experience without having to you know you're you're obviously always thinking about it but um taking notes is another form it takes you out and because we do it at home like a pause and all that stuff which is helpful when you're taking notes um so i ended up watching it twice because i wanted to take extensive notes um i did not <laughs> <laughs> you're the smarter person <laughs> um but yeah, and, and we do that a lot for certain things, um, where, or at least I do, I have in the past. And there's certain episodes where I, you know, Wizard of Earthsea, I kind of went through and wrote out the entire plot for myself in order to help retain it, but also to be able to explain it um, without tripping over. Yeah, I do that a lot too when we cover books and um, video games when they lend themselves to that, just taking notes as I go on what I just re read or played. Now that we're entering into our third year, do you have any kind of, you know, hopes? Do you think we should steer the course? Is there anything that you think that we could, there are things that we could be better at or, 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 or things that, you know, even more guests or do you prefer it when it's just the two of us or. Wow. That's a lot of questions. That was, that was too many questions. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I think, you know, I think there's always room for improvement, and I don't mean that as a knock 
on what we've been doing. Um, you know, I, I think I would like us to, to continue to make an effort to, to really think about, um, uh, the topics we're discussing, um, you know, uh, branching out of our comfort zones, uh, certainly, uh, you know, trying to find a more diverse perspective and voices in terms of, um, you know, the, the creators behind shows, the on-screen talent, uh, performers, um, I think we can always do better. So I think that's, you know, certainly something I'm, uh, trying to do personally. And I think I'd like to just see the show reflect that as well. I'd always love to have more guests on. Uh, this is just a, you know, this year was trickier than, uh, either of us had been expecting, but, you know, as we're sort of planning 2021, uh, I certainly think there's, uh, a lot of room to, to get some guests and, you know, maybe challenging ourselves in that regard too. I think one of my most, one of the most rewarding shows for me was when we had, um, Brian Raftery on, he was the author of best movie year ever. We had him on to talk about the X-Files. So we just kind of cold called somebody who made something interesting. I think he's the only guest that's had no personal connection to us. Mm Mm-hmm. But we, we reached out to a stranger who had this big book he was pushing and said, hey, we want to have you on our show to talk about your book, but also here's a homework assignment. <laughs> and he was and he was game for it. And it, it was such a cool experience. And I, I, I felt like um, I felt like we both handled ourselves really well. And I think, you know, maybe maybe roll the dice and, and see if we can reach out beyond our immediate orbit. Um, not to say that, uh, you know, recurring guests like Jeff or, or Chris would be a bad thing. We're already, um, you know, we've got Jeff lined up to tentatively talk about Final Fantasy with us in a, a few mm-hmm. months. And, uh, you know, we know how much uh, Chris loves movies, so <laughs> we'll have him back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're both always so much fun to talk to. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, maybe uh, dipping our toe a little more in the zeitgeist just to sort of... Um, uh, you know, as you've said, there's so many options out there that there's plenty of new stuff that we haven't seen for one reason or another. Um, and we've got a couple of big ones coming up. We're going to be doing an episode on Shit's Creek and then an episode on um, the video game Hades, which are both very much uh, big topics of discussion from 2020. So, um, yeah, you know, I think that that's that's how we kind of strike that balance we were talking about earlier with, um, you know, uh, giving the people what they want with these big popular, like of the moment things and then throw them curveballs like a hundred year old silent horror movie. Yeah. I, I think that it's trying to strike that balance. Like you said, I think there's this term that gets thrown out sometimes when it comes to older art, whether it's movies or books or whatnot called, uh, you know, eating your cultural vegetables. And I don't really feel that is applicable, especially to something like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which I legitimately was thrilled by. So I think sometimes it's about finding that balance of the quote unquote cultural vegetables that maybe more people um, have heard of or are curious about um, that way that it can lead them to the Caligari episodes. Um, And like you said, like Schitt's Creek uh, seems to be super, super popular. Um, There are memes just left and right. Everyone I've mentioned to um, that we were doing an episode of said like, oh, that show is amazing. And it's just like, oh, I, I didn't realize everybody has watched this and we were the last two people. 
um, to have not <laughs> we really seen were. the show. Um, yeah, so, uh, and, and that's pretty exciting. I, like, we, there are moments when we're definitely trying not to get too zeitgeisty. Um, like, we're never going to do an episode on Endgame. Because uh, that makes no sense for us because we're just so, you know, we grew up in that world. It doesn't make sense to cover something like Endgame. But that's that's an opportunity. Like we did, did a mini episode on the original Infinity Gauntlet miniseries, which, you know, for, for people who are like super into Endgame, uh, you know, especially since how popular those movies have become outside of your typical comic book audience, like that's an opportunity for us to be like, oh, well, if you like this thing, this is this is the seed. This is where it came from. Yeah. And, and like you said, just like you, I've kind of made that conscious choice of diversifying as much as possible with what things that I've read and, and things that I watch. Um, it's becoming easier because, again, everything is a lot more accessible. And um, our our best music of the of 2010s was very diverse. Uh, and that was exciting because we were discovering a lot of new things there. Um, so that was such a great conversation. So like more of those kind of things I think will be helpful because, you know, you never know how you're going to discover your next favorite thing. And I think the more opportunities um, for new things uh, present more chances to, to, to fall in love with something, you know, coming out of not to, you know, belabor this point, but coming out of 2020 where I think everybody was just like, I just need, I just need that warm, fuzzy blanket of a TV show I've watched a million times or that comfort food movie. Um, yeah, I think this is, again, an opportunity for us to sort of uh, step out from under that blanket and maybe uh, really discover some new things, um, not just on the show, but, you know, uh, in our, our regular um, off-mic consumption of, of pop culture. Um, so you had, you had mentioned Shit's Creek and, and Hades. Um do you want to talk about some other things that we have scheduled, but also maybe some ideas that we have? Yeah. So, um, Yusagi Yojimbo is one that I've started reading for an episode coming up. That's, Mm -hmm. um, it's been in my periphery as long as I've been reading comics. So same 20, 25 years now. Um, and I'm really excited to finally be getting to that. We've talked a bit about, uh, the movie devil in a blue dress, uh, as well as some other, Easy Rollins Mysteries by uh, Walter Mosley. I did read Devil in a Blue Dress last year, um, and it's great. And I'm excited to watch the movie and then read some more uh, of the books in that series. Uh, I really love noir. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, like we've talked about, the the change in perspective does wonders for a familiar genre. Uh, Dawson's Creek is on the <laughs> list. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know much about it other than Dawson was really big into Steven Spielberg and he wanted to be a director. That's all I really know. Yeah. You know, I think, um, uh, you know, this goes hand in hand with, uh, we've talked about, we've joked about doing a, an episode on boy bands or like late nineties, early two thousands TRL pop music. And I think those two go hand in hand. They were such a, um, a cultural force at that moment. And because we were not, really that their audience we we dismissed it for whatever reason and uh, have not gone back to it but there is a a sort of legacy and sort of cultural through line with those things and that's another thing too that we like to do here is sort of look back at um uh the sort of uh, 
how those things have aged and maybe what we find value in now that we probably couldn't as young men of a certain age who uh, had whatever lofty haughty opinions of themselves and their taste so uh we we've also talked about doing some k-pop because that really seems um like uh, the pop music of the moment uh, mm-hmm. especially the band bts uh, who, who i believe put out maybe two albums last year but they're super popular uh, touring all over the world uh popping up all over the place lots of hit singles uh but in in in, in that same um Wheelhouse, we've also talked about covering Now That's What I Call Music. <laughs> uh, and I think we, we were thought it might be interesting if we just kind of listen to the most recent one because mm-hmm. that's just like, you know, the most recent pop music. Uh, and some sure. of that stuff, I think maybe where surface level we're familiar with. I, I know we've both heard of Ariana Grande, but maybe we haven't really delved into her music too, too much. So that could be another... Um, interesting way to to talk about music. Sure. Uh, we're doing another Oscar episode. Um, so yeah. uh, if you're unfamiliar, last year we, in lieu of covering um, the 2020 Oscars, we decided to um, pick a random number uh, and whichever that was, we'd cover that year's Best Picture nominees. Uh, and that was 1973. What did we pick for this year? It was 1940. Uh, this year we're doing 1949. So yeah. we've got uh, Johnny Belinda, Hamlet, The Red Shoes, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and The Snake Pit. Yeah. The five movies we'll be talking about. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Um, uh, I have seen two, uh, and those two happen to be two personal favorites. They're, I'm so excited for you to see them. Uh, the other three, I... I don't know anything about. So that's pretty exciting. And last year I thought that was, that was a pretty fun conversation. Yeah, it was really fun. So yeah. And I'm glad we've got these sort of recurring, uh, special episodes at this point. We've got a, we've got a few of them. Yeah. We're uh, our year end, uh, recap our, our holiday episode. We've got our October, we do horror. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now our Oscar one. So yeah. And hopefully we'll come up with a few more. I know we've talked about some, some kind of conceptual kind of stuff. We've gone back and forth about things. I know I've pitched to you in the past doing something like where we each create a mixtape for each other. That's sort of like a, an autobiographical musical mixtape, um, which, yeah. which I think it would be a fun idea to introduce music to each other, but is also sort of like, this is sort of what has inspired and influenced my listening tastes. Um, and that could be revealing and a lot of fun. Sure. Or... <laughs> <laughs> or horrifying <laughs> a little of both. little of both yeah yeah um so yeah i i like doing those kind of um i guess high concept episodes where it's not just one topic sure. where we get to talk broadly about things i think that's that's kind of fun um yeah we don't do that all the time but when we do it, it uh they're always uh lead to interesting places yeah and if you're listening and you're like hey how come you've never watched x or listened to to why like you know send us an email and we'd love to chat about future topics but yeah i think uh so we're uh that that does our our 50th episode spectacular um thank all of you for listening uh who have been um if you haven't taken a moment to uh leave us a review or um you know 
share us with a friend or whatever, um, please do that. Um, all that stuff is helpful. We should, we appreciate you all tuning in when you do. And, uh, we look forward to, uh, another fun year of crossing blind spots off of our list. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's all that needs to be said. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Did We Miss? You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And you can send us an email at whatdidwemisspod at gmail.com. And thanks, as always, to the Whatcheer Writers Club in downtown Providence, Rhode Island. You can learn more about them at whatcheerclub.org. And you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at whatcheerclub.org.